<laughs> I was like, I'm having a hard time seeing because of the lights, but I thought there were people out there. So good to be here this morning, and how brave of you to come uh, to a series about emotional health. So good on you. And I actually pray that it's not just good on you, that God actually speaks to your heart and to my heart this morning. So I'm so excited to get to share in these spaces with you. So would you consider with me a quote by the great, it's attributed to him at least, C.S. Lewis. He said this, he said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Now certainly you know this as you sit here, right, with, uh, you know, way more than just physical sensations going on. You have thoughts and feelings and reactions to all sorts of things, so you know that it's not just your body that's reacting, that you're, that you're processing right now, right? So imagine if you lived from that place. If we as a society lived from that place, if you lived from that place, your soul, your truest you. It wouldn't be long before you started to encounter something immediately when you started thinking about living from your soul. You'd run smack into thirst, desire, hunger, a longing for something more, the, the word longing. Every one of us has hunger, thirst, longing. And, and hear me, and in actuality, that thing pushes and pulls and drives most of what we do. Now, it's not just me saying we have that thirst. God says in Isaiah 55, come to me, said it through the prophet, come to me all you who are thirsty, and I'll give to you without cost. The psalmists, he had, give us an example in Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for the water, do you know it? So my soul longs for you. Psalm 38.9, the psalmist said, said it this way, he straight up said it, all my longings lie open before you, oh God. This idea that there's, there's this, we all have these deeper desires, right? So when you think about the soul's thirst and hunger, longing, whatever word you want to put in your blanks there, so for those of you in the room, there's blanks that you can fill out. It's a fun morning, (laughs) okay? Uh, So whatever word you put in the blank there, when you think about taking care of that thirst or that desire for your soul, how have you done that even this week? What have you done to take care of your soul's thirst or hunger even this week? Yeah. <laughs> By contrast, what have you done to take care of your bodies? Thirst or hunger? Oh, even this very morning. How have you fed or cared for your body? You see the contrast, right? That's good, yeah. yeah. Have you ever thought of taking care of your soul to the same degree that you take care of your physical self? Mm-hmm. Right? If we paid attention in the same way that we attend to our physical hunger and thirst, We'd, we'd do something about them. But if we don't, guess what's gonna happen? Those longings and those desires are just gonna sit there and they're gonna, they're gonna be inside us. And when that happens, here's kind of what I say happens. This is just, just a formulation in my mind's eye that I've seen as I work with people. They turn into what's like soul questions. Things like, do I matter? Mm. 
worthy? Am I enough? Am I valuable? Am I attractive? Am I like, is there anything about me like that as we interact that I can see flits across your eyes that I impact you whatsoever? Like, Right. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, am I, like, am I worthy? So, so this is what's going on, on this soul level. These longings, these desires, they're pushing and they're pulling us. And if we're not attending to them, start to think with me about what that starts to mean about our daily lives. Because we're going to take them all sorts of places, don't we? Don't we take them all sorts of places, these soul questions? (laughs) Right? Shopping. Hmm. Sugar. (laughs) Sports. Sex. Stocks. (laughs) And we take them especially to people and circumstances. Can I get some sort of witness on that? Yeah. Right? And, and you know how that goes. It's like this. It's like, if you like me, I like me. Huh, that's good. And if you don't like me, I don't like me. Yeah. And if circumstances are good, I'm good. Right. And if circumstances are not good, I'm not good. Right. Talk about emotional health. That's why we're here this morning. That obviously is not a good sign when we're so externally driven when we're in actuality a soul, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. When we take our soul questions to people and circumstances, it will never work. Why? Because no matter how much my spouse tries to answer my soul question of am I lovable, he can't and yours can't because he or she is a spouse, not a savior. And no matter how much I take my sole question of am, am I valuable to my really good friend, even my best friend, she can't answer that because she's a friend, not the faithful father. Right. Wow. See, if we lived from our souls, from our souls, we would stop unwittingly setting the people in our lives up for failure by releasing them from having to be identity and security givers to us. Right. When we take our soul questions to people, possessions, pleasures, performances, positions, productivity, pursuits, and circumstances, Let's just stop right there. And for those of you that have an outline, circle the one where you take yours. Mm, good. Those of you online, just, just stare at the screen and look, which one, where is the place that I typically take my soul questions? Where, where is yours? Where do you tend to try to get that answered? Is it the bottom line for you financially? Is it your friend group? Is it your pleasures? Is it your performance? Here's the deal. It will never work to bring us peace. Why, 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 why? Because it's a mismatch. Your soul, you know this, is eternal. Your soul is eternal. It's your body that's gonna die, not you. 
right? So it's a mismatch. So trying to bring that which is eternal and have it satiated in the temporal will never work. Jesus said it in John 14, 27, much better. He said, peace I leave with you. And in, and in much the same way as your faces are looking at mine right now, and I imagine his disciples were doing just the same, it's like, oh, that's cool, but wait, why am I not then experiencing it? Right? And it's like he had to just keep going in the same breath to kind of refine it. Peace I leave with you all. My peace I give to you. And with the same faces of like, yes, and what is, what is that though? He refined it. In the same breath, yet further, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, ah, uh, not as the world gives, do I give to you. He literally is saying, I have peace for you, oh, but you're never going to find it in the world. So if you're foraging around in all sorts of worldly pursuits for peace, the good news for us today is you'll never find it there. St. Augustine said it this way, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, right? So our emotional health takeaway grab, uh, number one for the day is this, to be emotionally healthy, we have to live from the soul that we are and to care for it. If you lived from the soul that you are, you'd pretty quickly realize that you can never be known totally by another human, amen? I've been married for 30 years and Oh my golly, it's amazing how still little we know one another. And I'm a communication expert, Whoa! It's just amazing, right? No, ma- no other person, no matter how many years you have spent together, can know the emotions that grip your heart, or the latest thought that flutters through your mind as you drift off to sleep. Because you're a soul. So your soul questions can only be answered by the author of your soul. And you know, right, you're not that author. Do I need to? Okay. That leads us to our second point about emotional health today. This is emotionally healthy, grab number two. To be emotionally healthy, live knowing your unique given value, not seeking it. Hey, you know, your existence is a never to be repeated way in which God has chosen to express himself to the world, don't you? Right. Yeah, so good. Yeah. You! Your fingerprints testify to the reality that God only ever wanted one of the you that is here on this planet, right? So to the sole question of, now I'm no mathematician, but to the sole question of am I enough, do it with me, if, the, if God only ever wanted one, how many is enough? Right? Isn't that so great? Maybe, maybe that's what you need to get your mind around this morning. Yeah. Maybe we just need to listen together to Psalm 139. Would, can we? Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar before a word is on my tongue. You know it completely, oh Lord. You're familiar with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before. Such knowledge, it's 
too wonderful for me. It's actually too lofty for me to attain. Because where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in some depth, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. That darkness will be as light to you, for darkness is as light to you, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Duh, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast ugh, this is some of them. Were I to try to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Can you imagine how different our days would be if we read that? every day, let alone how different our emotional health would be, right? Because your consternation over being valuable and striving to feel purposeful would begin to take a back seat to God's primary authorship of his story that is you. There will only ever be one of you. <laughs> designed intentionally by God himself, which by definition makes you special. I'm not here for a feel-good clinic today, and I'm not all about your self-esteem. I say with all due respect. I'm about this and the one who laid it down as our best life manual. And in here, he tells you who you are and who I am. And this is our best life. Right? Yeah. Ephesians 2.10 goes so far as to call you a masterpiece. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Workmanship is tr translated masterpiece. That's right. You. <laughs> How many of you looked in the mirror before you came this morning and were like... Whoa, masterpiece, Lego. <laughs> right? Maybe you take issue with a suggestion that you're a masterpiece. Be careful what you're take issue, taking issue with. Consider this, though. The earth is situated at precisely the perfect distance from the sun so that the temperature is neither too hot nor too cold. If the earth only rotated 364 times instead of 365, our days and nights would be 10 times as long, making life impossible. If the axis of the earth were 45 degrees instead of 23, the core of the planet would become so hot that, again, life would be impossible. 21% of the earth's atmosphere is oxygen. If it were 50%, a mere striking of a match would set the planet ablaze. But if it were only 1%, we wouldn't be able to breathe. And that same God that did that has made you. And this God delights in the you that he made you to be. Psalm 149 verse 4 says God takes delight in his people. Mm -hmm. 
Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, who takes great delight in you. He will delight over you. Some of you I haven't seen for a while, and I practically lost some bodily functions because it was so great to see you again. That's delight. Right? What do you do in delight? Even if you're like a quiet introvert, what do you do in delight? Parts of you light up. This is what God says his opinion of you is. Where did you get your opinion of God? Where did you get the sense that when you say, dear Lord, he's rolling his eyes going, you again? Where did that come from? That's not from his holy word. You may think he defines, he defines love as some sort of sterile agape that's obligatory on his part, but he doesn't. Right? 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And I love the end of that verse. It says, and that is what we are. That's what we should be speaking one to another all the time, and that is what we are, child of God. Hey, hey, don't be saying that about a child of God when you hear another speaking disparaging things of him or herself. That would be the best thing we could do for one another in terms of identity as a community. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. So here's the other thing. I think I saw a baby in here a minute ago. How great. Baby. So would one of you dare to walk up to those parents, peek over the shoulder of the new baby, the parents, and say, meh. <laughs> How much more so have you maybe even done that this very morning? to the person in the mirror. And you know the parents standing in the room, right? That's good, and he loves that child. And he made him or her the way he wants him or her to be. He's in the room, you know. You will never experience true peace or joy until you discard yours or others' opinion of you and accept his view of you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. It's so instructive for our times that say, hey, your truth can be what you feel. Proverbs 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I'm sorry, but our own understanding is culturally informed, it's hormonally informed, it's how much Mexican or sugar you had for lunch. I think that's funny. You're not laughing. Okay. I just want to make sure we are all good and I'm not offending people. Okay. <laughs> are you with me? Yeah. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Hey, let's stop leaning on our own understanding. One of the best things that we can do this morning is to be done with our own estimation of ourselves. I don't care how I feel about myself as I stand here and speak with you this morning. It doesn't matter. I know what the word of God says about who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. I could go off on how I feel about myself this morning. It does not matter. It's a better life. It's a better life. Are you with me? Yeah. We must attend to our souls and our emotional selves, but the reality, well, okay, I'm going off now, okay. So anyhow, and Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not become wise in your own eyes. Again, we've got to be willing to choose God's estimation of ourselves. Because ours goes up and down with what? The changing trends in our culture, yeah. let alone an aging body. Yeah. Okay? Hmm. So insecurity, comparison, and popularity, for instance, 
are show-stopping impediments to a living a life of longing fulfilled in Jesus, let alone a life of emotional health. And this is why we've got to be willing to lean not on our own understanding. In fact, so much, so very much of emotional unhealth is because of being completely consumed with self-hatred, self-loathing, self-doubt, out of comparison, built upon our society, which is literally built upon the mechanisms of creating discontent. I would like you to see garden, uh, display A, the Garden of Eden, and display B, capitalism. Okay? And scripture tells us comparison it's just stupid. Second Corinthians ten twelve says, when they measure themselves with themselves and they compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And I, and I work with people, and I'm old, and I work with old and young, and the reality is everyone compares themselves. Can I get a witness there? Yeah. And it's killing a part of your spirit, and it's going right against the unique creation of God that he wants you to be. Yeah, there is no comparison for you if there's only supposed to ever be one of you. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay, but it's not, it's not difficult for us to see how we're under that press, correct? Yeah. It rains the day and measuring ourselves against others while ludicrous is a trap even the most logical, intelligent, and unaffected of us fall. And part of that, here we go, I'm turning, I'm turning a corner, are you going to turn with me? Part of that is because of a time in which we live. The time in which we live is a time of brokenness, and therefore, grief in our everyday lives. In Romans 3.23, Paul said, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. Mm -hmm. How many? All. So, why do we keep getting so surprised when all the people in our life are disappointing in some way? Why? Why is it so heartbreaking for us when literally there's something wrong with everyone we meet? Eventually we find that out. Yeah. Right? right. Uh, Jesus straight up told us in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. World equals? Trouble. trouble. Correct. World equals trouble. He said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And yet we keep getting so dismayed and surprised and blindsided by trouble. Yeah. Rather than coming to expect, no, Jesus told us this. He told us things here are going to be hard for a while. Okay? And yet, we keep getting blindsided by it. Why? Why is this? Because we don't want things to be broken. We don't want people to be broken. We want people to be consistent and dependable and loving and trustworthy and kind. We want days to go well and plans to work out. Amen. The reality is that below the surface of our jeans and kicks and scarfs and booties and joggers lie souls that aren't so polished. Here this morning, I guarantee, is a couple whose marriage is hanging on by a very thin thread. I'm glad you're here. Someone who's recently probably had a DUI, and a divorced person who's newly divorced wondering, am I gonna be judged here this morning? And then there's a friend group that's more sarcastic and biting than uplifting and safe. The reality is in every situation where there are people, there's brokenness, you know it, right? There's grief over the, grief over the brokenness of self, others, and the world is an inescapable part of our lives inescapable. It's inevitable. You can't live it without experiencing it in a thousand different ways. Such a seemingly inconsequential thing as a spouse phoning last minute to say he or she isn't coming to the event, or your great boss suddenly transferred, or the loss of a dream, or bigger things like wounds from abuse, neglect, abandonment, 
alienated family members, friends who no longer speak to each other, and on and on. Did we really think there was something wrong with us that we shouldn't grieve over anything except the actual death of a person? So, so what is grief? It's so wrongly associated with like emotional excess and outpouring of tears. Let's look at it for what it is. Grief is the normal and natural emotional reaction to loss or change of any kind. And we face minor grief almost daily in some situation or another. From the loss of a favorite item to pet to job to hair, loss is loss, guys. But the reality but the really important issues of life have to do with relationships, our walk with God and our family and friends. So every heart, including yours, is grappling with grief in some form or fashion because things were not supposed to be this way. We were not made for brokenness. We were made for Eden yes. right. and eternity. Yeah. And this is neither. Can I get a witness? I, I like to call it chapter four, five, and six, that we live in chapters four, five, and six. My smart aleck husband said, well, how long's the book? Because chapter four, five, and six, in my estimation, are the middle. He said, well, chapter six could be the end, anyhow. So we live in the middle. Think about a great epic, any great epic you know, or any great novel, right? Any great Netflix series, tell me what's in the middle. Come on, for reals, let's be awake together. Tell me what's in the middle of any great epic. Conflict, awesome, what else? Drama, Drama. what else? Love, loss, betrayal, reunion, cliffhangers, blah, ah, right? It's like crazy in the middle. That is our everyday life. Literally, just when you think it's awesome, oh, be careful, <laughs> it's coming, right? We live in the middle of like love, loss, betrayal, reunion. Mm -hmm. We all have grief and it's, it's impacting our everyday life. It's impacting our relationships. We, it's because we were meant for Eden in eternity. See, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says he has planted eternity in the human heart. You know what that means, right? Perfection. It, it makes so much sense why you get so disappointed when people are disappointing. Why we can't get used to it. Because perfection lives inside you. The longing for that which is perfect and whole and not disappointing. It lives inside you and it clangs up against every small loss and big loss and way in which this planet is not whole and perfected yet. Amen? So here's the problem. I want you to start thinking about why are we talking about grief? What's going on? How is this about emotional health? Are you with me? Are you thinking it through? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the problem? Here it is. The problem is that if we don't understand grief, we're going to most likely misinterpret it. As what? As what? As I'm a bad Christian for not being happier. Or God must not be real then if I'm feeling this way. Or something must be wrong with me. Something must be wrong with my faith. Or God's promises aren't real. Or my faith is too weak. Or even I'm perpetually depressed and maybe should end my life, you see? Yeah. If we don't understand, every day we live here will be stained with maybe a lot or maybe a little, depending on the day. Bit of grief. Every relationship. Even the best ones. 
will have some grief. Usually about all someone's going, <laughs> but what about Tammy? What about Jesus' promises? Didn't he overcome? Isn't there victory and peace and joy? Didn't he bring that all to us? Because, <laughs> you know, it's all happy times there. A little grief section. And the reality is, yes, yes. Yes, he did. He did overcome sin, sin, death, and brokenness. Romans 8, 2 says, says as much. Luke 17, 21 says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Listen, with the coming of Christ, he did bring the kingdom here, but obviously there is clearly still so much brokenness happening, right? It's called the already not yet aspect of the kingdom of God, and it's too big a topic to cover in an emotional health series. But let's look at it practically for just a second through what Jesus says in these two verses. Can you see them? John 16, 33, we just looked at it together. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Can you see it there? Okay. And then let's look at John 10, to get 10 together. Also, a, a sentence straight from Jesus' mouth in the same breath. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you see? What is Jesus doing here? Do you see a sense? There's overcoming and opposition, right? One beside each other. In this world, you'll have trouble, opposition. But take heart, I've overcome the world, overcoming. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that may have life and life to the full. That's the abundant life. Do you see? There's a bifurcation. There's a, there's a two-pronged two existence. He's showing us right here. Jesus is showing us something. I'm just going to go straight to it. All of life contains joy and grief in the same moments. So all of life, all of the mature, healthy life is lived on the two rails of joy and grief. It's as though we're all trains and we all do life on the two rails of joy and grief. And if we try to do life on just one, we will keen out of control. If we pretend there's only one rail and try to live only on one rail, we'll keen out of control. Correct? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so what happens is sometimes we've been given a version in, in certain sects of our life, whether our... Um, home growing up, our formative systems, or even certain systems of faith who have been like, no, grief is bad. This is Christianity. Da, 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 Jesus saved me. Right? No, he, he very clearly has told us there's much to grieve. And so what happens is then we don masks, which is a whole other talk. And I'm not talking about the physical ones from the pandemic. I'm talking about masks like I'm fine and super spiritual and I have it all together and etc. All right? Listen, pushing it down and sucking it up, there's nothing mature or Christian about that. That's really good. Yeah, come on. <laughs> if, we're, if we're not yet convinced that God wants us to grieve, there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. <laughs> Lament is to grieve. <laughs> So if you need help understanding like God's, Jesus, Isaiah 53, 5, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Yeah. So, in maturity, all of life is lived on the two rails of joy and grief. Ecclesiastes 7, 18 says it is good to hold onto one without letting go of the other. A man of wisdom avoids all extremes. So in every moment of your life, even the best ones, 
There's a little bit of grief there somewhere. And in every moment of your life, even the worst and most painful ones, there is some joy somewhere. Sometimes it's 99-1. And some days it's 51-49, right? And we are wise when we can live in that space and therefore not misinterpret it in all sorts of ways. So to be emotionally healthy, live on the two rails of joy and grief. And listen, a tool that some find helpful for trying to sort through some of the emotional things they're dealing with. So this might be like, well, it's a little bit of overkill, but for some of you, this is going to be very helpful. So I'm going to do it for just a second, can I? Yeah. I'm kind of like chucking tools at you. So I feel a bit like, that, like if you feel like this, it's like, okay, because I am kind of chucking tools at you. But I got you and we're here, so let's do it. <laughs> Sound good? Yeah. So anger can signal a blocked goal. It's why when someone cuts me off in tra traffic, I don't get sad. Aw, it's so sad. <laughs> it's why, you know, when, you're, when you want to have a peaceful evening and your roommate is like, crank up the volume, it's dance party night, you're probably not sad. Probably get a little mad, right? Anger can signal a blocked goal. So anxiety can signal an uncertain goal. Since that's a little weird, um, it's a little more easy to say competing goals. Maybe you could say that. Like for instance, I really want to live by faith. That's a goal of mine. But I really don't want to experience the pain of this life. They're competing. Yeah. I really, really, really want to be a strong believer who trusts in you, God but I really don't like the losses I've had to face and the reality of what that means for my life. Like, I don't want that. You see, they're, they're in competition. Depression can signal an unattainable goal. An unattainable goal. When my goal is to never feel pain or have a relationship without conflict, if your goal is to never feel pain, you could be in lifelong depression, no joke. If your goal is to have a relationship without conflict, you could be stuck in depression and not realize it's because of that unattainable goal. So I say these because I have seen that when people start properly identifying and acknowledging grief, some emotional states become affected in helpful ways, breaking free from some things that have been stuck for a very long time. Uh, I know one woman that literally, when she, it was difficult for her to name the grief because it was kind of an obvious grief and loss in her life that nobody wanted to name because it was pretty awkward. No joke, she had been to other counseling and it had not been named. And I got to be like lucky counselor. They got to do the hard thing. I did not enjoy it. And here's the reality. Then when she began to grieve ugh, those losses, guess what happened to her gripping panic attacks? Gone. Because it's coming out sideways sometimes when you don't realize the need to just mourn the need to just acknowledge what is for what is. Because when we live in alignment with reality, there's a lot of emotional health there. Yeah. And Jesus is right there living in that reality through us, in us, around us, all, all with us. 
Are you with me? So that's why I gave you those tools, just in case as you learn this tool this morning and this idea about embracing grief in a new way and maybe trying to recognize where it's at play in your life, that you'll have some other tools for some of these other emotional states that maybe you're stuck in. And so speaking of being stuck, I cannot speak this morning, and this is going to be really tough for me to do to make it small, (laughs) but I cannot speak this morning without this. It's an important emotional health piece. And I could literally lock the doors and we could have a five-hour seminar. Who's in? Okay. (laughs) Remember, in just just a minute ago, when we looked at John 10.10, when Jesus said, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Did that just flood on by, or do you know what he's talking about there? What do you think Jesus is talking about there? A thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Oh, a thief? What? But steal, kill, and destroy what? Your faith. anything about you that apprehends faith. So how do we, uh, how do I say, operationalize, that's a bad word, but faith in our everyday life? Well, Jesus told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did he not? Okay. So if there's a thief looking to steal, kill, and destroy our faith, and we want to, and Jesus is like, here's how you faith it out in your everyday life. Here's how you faith muscle it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Doesn't that sound like, oh, tend to your soul? Right, you see how we're putting these together? There's a thief looking to literally get you to not have faith in the places of your soul. To steal, kill, and destroy faith in that place. Here's why it's such good news. And it's like mind-blowingly freeing. It's why faith is so hard. It's not just you that you're like some bad Christian. You're so weak. There's active opposition to You holding on to the things of God. Because even this morning, you're like, yes, I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that. Why? Why did I forget that? Why am I having such a hard time holding on to that? Why is faith so hard? (laughs) This is so good. Did I just look like a mad woman just there? (laughs) I felt like that happened for a moment. (laughs) Emotionally healthy grab number four. To be emotionally healthy, recognize that there is a force working against you your relationships, and especially your faith. Come on, let's, do you mind, can I ask you to do something with me? Can we read 2 Corinthians 4, 4 together? Those of you that are willing, let's do that together. Here we go. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What? jumps out at you from that verse. There are so many things about that verse. So many compelling, wow, God, truths about that verse. That we don't have time for this morning, but let me quickly just say, do you see the first thing? That there's a small g God of this age. What does this age mean right now? You and I, the time we live in. There is a small g God. That is not the God to whom we bow. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is King. 
right? Small G God of this age. Looking to do what? Essentially, mess with people's minds so that they cannot see Jesus. Thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? So we have to go back to where we started today. Remember, you are a soul. You have a body. You know this, right? You're not telling your heart to beat right now. You're not, you're not the one who decided like how you would think and the gifts that you would have. You know the authorship is God himself and the author of your soul is the one who will carry you to himself when your body fades and it goes away. And so this, this soul is uh, your spirit, your most essential you. So it's in that place that's hard to understand as we have to talk about things in physical ways. But in that spirit place, that is where evil is looking to steal, kill, and destroy your faith. Because if somebody walked up on the stage and, and talked to me straight up and said, here is why God is not real and true, I would have a conversation with why that is stupid and let's have a conversation. But when there is a sense of uh, coming over you about you're such a loser and a fraud, why are you even in a church service right now? That I guarantee many of you have had this very morning. Where did you think that was coming from? Did you think you want to think that about yourself? How about that sense of, well, of course, no one's going to talk to you because have you met you? No one likes you. Where, where do you think that's coming from? Oh, and that stuff she's going off now, on now? Oh, that is so BS. She's so extrapolating. What, she, and she's over the top. Right? Yeah. Where do you think that's coming from? Because look at you. You've gotten up early and you look good. On a Sunday morning, you put yourself together and some of you got here so early because you are in such earnest to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So why in the world would you think that you want to think those things about yourself and others? Yeah. We've got to understand that as we live from our soul, we're going to encounter like the reality of, oh, there is opposition to my faith in this place and it's quite personal and it's quite all up in my business and the more I can live from that space and recognize that, no joke, not just emotional health, but straight up victory and overcoming in your daily life. We're talking that song we just sang, Breaking of Strongholds, Breaking of Chains, Overcoming fear for good. That's when that stuff gets real. So, you can see, as a vessel of the Most High God seeking to love others in Him, you're going to experience regular and ongoing spiritual opposition and challenge in the place of your soul, in your spirit, the you that you most are. 
Ephesians 6.12 tells us this. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood. Underline that phrase and remember it. Anytime you're mad at someone, you're caught up, you're obsessing about a relationship, you're playing a conversation over and over in your mind, you're rehearsing how great you're going to do the next time you get in that conversation, be able to have the perfect put, put down or retort. <laughs> your greatest battle in mind is not against flesh and blood ever. Ever. We're, we're fighting the wrong battle when we're fighting that battle. He or she's just as hurt as you or I am, just as messed up, just as struggling, just as buffeted in this same place of faith. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And 1 Peter 5 tells us to be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We've got to resist him standing firm in the faith. So while that's all I can say about that this morning, that is huge in terms of emotional health. And I pray it spurs your community on to go there and to have a sense of like, oh, that is an actual compelling part of being healthy together, learning to recognize and speak and help one another dwell in those places. Amen? So let's do the four together. To be emotionally healthy, live from your soul and care for it. To do that is to be steeped in God's word on the regular. And you will find that you no longer need to take your soul questions to people, possessions, pursuits, etc., because they've all been answered in Jesus. When we live from the soul, we are freed to stop shopping horizontally for what's been given vertically. It's so great. We're freed to stop foraging around in the temporal for what's a feast in the eternal. To be emotionally healthy. Live knowing your unique given value, not seeking it. To do so is to live every day believing I'm the me I'm supposed to be. And whether the crowds love me or hate me on a particular day, it doesn't matter. Oh, it might hurt or it might enthrall. But that will change. Give it a minute. That my maker has purpose in the me he made me to be. And I have surrendered to that rather than living inside of my own estimation of things. I don't care what I think of me anymore. And frankly, not what you think either. Can we live this way? Can we? It's a freedom call, brothers and sisters. To be emotionally healthy, we've got to live on the two rails of joy and grief. To do so is to realize even the best moments and days are stained with a sense of that which is lost, missing, or not whole. That's because this is not, not our real home. And eternity, that eternity that's set in our hearts is banging up against how today falls short of perfection, even when it's awesome. <laughs> Understanding you carry grief allows you to mourn maturely and then fully embrace relationships for what they are and not misinterpret them for what they aren't, so on with the rest of your life. This does much to aright your mental condition because it helps you live in alignment with reality. To be emotionally healthy, recognize that there's a force working against you, your relationship, and especially your faith. 
When you live with this recognition, you're more grace-filled with yourself, others, and you fight the right battles, not the wrong ones. You fight the anti-God, anti-love, anti-peace, anti-joy, anti-unity, anti-patience, anti-kindness, anti-gentleness, jitter-upper. Instead of merely blaming and shaming yourself over and over for being a total loser in every way who just can't your, get your stuff together. But the reason holding on to these things is so hard is because there is a direct assault in that place of your soul. And from that place, you have a stance of, I see you. And I say, no. Stop it. And by the way, uh, I know the end of the story. And you lose. So, to be emotionally healthy, finish these prompts every day in your life. Live from your soul and care for it instead of focusing so much on what? Fill them in. Live knowing your unique given value, not seeking it in what? What are you seeking it in? Mm. Live on the two rails of joy and grief instead of doing what? Recognize there's an anti-God force working in, against you and your faith, so do what? So here's the deal. Why be emotionally healthy? Because this lost world needs you. Have you seen it? And that is why God made you the you that he needs you to be. Because we don't have time to walk around with insecure, uh, offense-carrying hearts. You are too important to a lost world. You have too much that he has deposited in you to be caught up in small-minded pursuits and insecure, I don't want to say graves. You, you're such a powerful conduit of the light and love of Christ. That's why we speak about emotional health. Not so we can feel good and watch the game today with just a clearer head. No, no. This world needs you to be the you that he made you to be, walking in the confidence with your eyes on him, pouring it out, kind of like you want some of this, in a healthy, beautiful way. And that's what I pray for you.